In this fourth and final part of our mini-series, designed to be part of the wonderful Mayflower 400 commemorations, we aim to shine a light, literally and metaphorically, on the historic Rotherhithe on the banks of the Thames. This fascinating and sometimes overlooked London gem has a stunning history that dates back many centuries. Christopher Jones, the master and part owner of the Mayflower, lived and died in Rotherhithe, and it's thought to be its final resting place before being broken up. In keeping with the theme of this week's conversation, we met up with three special ladies at the Ship Pub in Rotherhithe. Claire Armstrong, Pauline Adinwalla, and Michelle Page-Jones are driving forward a community-led holistic lighting scheme called Rotherhithe Illuminated, with the intention of enhancing nighttime views of some of the area's most historic sites, from St Mary's Church, the Thames Tunnel Mills, Brunel's Engine House, as well as the Mayflower Public House and the figurines on the Old Schoolhouse. The project will deliver a permanent Mayflower legacy for Rotherhithe, which perfectly complements the wonderfully inspiring voyage taken some 400 years ago. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. So, you shouldn't look so worried at all, Claire. It's not going to be that bad, I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. I I'm here gin. today in the... Where are we? It's the ship. The ship. The ship in? In, Is it the ship in, in Rotherhithe. In, ship in Rotherhithe. In, yeah. Previous meetings we've had in, had in Rotherhithe have been in and around the Mayflower, which mm -hmm. has been the subject of our podcast mini-series celebrating the 400 years of the Mayflower, um, which I believe is next year. That's right. um, but today we decided to meet in the ship just down the road. I've been I've been told off. It's not it's not it's <laughs> commemorating. We're not celebrating. We're celebrating. Okay. And I, I I want to give a warm welcome to our three guests on the podcast today. We've got Claire Armstrong, who's the project leader of Rather High Illuminated exclamation mark. Mm -hmm. And we have Pauline, who is the um, project leader Lead. project leader that's right of the project mm -hmm. and the fundraiser and the wonderful events that you're going to well the the lighting program that you're going to put on and we'll talk about that in a minute mm -hmm. we've also got pauline aiden waller have i pronounced that correctly pauline you have good good i always like to get that right straight <laughs> off the bat as we say who's the treasurer and chief fundraiser is that correct fundraiser yes. and chief, yes. fantastic and then we've got uh, michelle page jones who is local historian what else are you involved with on um, the and i do the social media as well so as we said this is the fourth in the series of the mayflower 400 commemorations that we're doing and the first one we spent a lovely afternoon or morning and afternoon with uh, the fantastic jason sandy down on the foreshore of the thames looking for wonderful artifacts and learning the history of the area and then we had a nice pub lunch, which is also very nice at the Mayflower. Then we went to um, the Guildhall, where we met up with Mark Wheatley, who's heading up the project, if you like, for how London is getting involved in the commemorations uh, going forward. Over the, There's 400 events going on over the next year, which is amazing. Oh. And he's involved in the London element of that from a City of that. London point of view. I didn't know there were 400. 400. Oh, that's, but that's over the whole That's year over the, the whole year, the starting. destinations. Yeah. Which, oh, all over the destinations. All okay. over the country, yeah. No, yeah, okay. not just London. And then we had, which is currently going out live as we speak, we had the two wonderful chefs which were flown over from America as part of the diplomacy, culinary diplomacy program. Um, where we met, we went for a walk, we had lunch at the Mayflower, which was great. So that is currently going out live and people are listening to that even as we speak. So today we are here just a, f what, a week before Christmas week. Mm -hmm. So it's lovely. We're sitting in the ship in, in Rotherhithe and it's looking resplendent. 
with us all as Christmas decorations. And we're here to talk about you guys and what you're doing and how you're getting involved with this this project. So who wants to kick off and say a little bit about, well, say how, what, what the importance of Rotherhithe is. Maybe maybe um, Michelle can kick us yeah. off with a bit of historical background on why Rotherhithe is such a crucial area. Uh, and I know you three ladies are local to the area. So tell us a bit about why it's so important to everyone. Well, in... Captain Jones, well, he was actually, he was called Captain Jones, but actually he was Master Jones. He was the captain of the ship, but he was Master Jones. Christopher Jones was a resident of Rotherhithe. He was born in Harwich, but he moved to Rotherhithe in 1611 uh, because obviously it was, um, we assume, because it was easier for trading to be in London than Harwich because he traded with people in the city, guildsmen and so on. His big uh, trade was in the wine trade. Okay. Feels appropriate where we're sitting doing this then. Yes, yes. So he imported wine and he exported wool. So wool was the big big, gum. export in England so he import he exported that to the Bordeaux area etc and imported wine he's in fact his last cargo before he sailed for the new world was a cargo of wine so would that so, have been a straight trade a straight yes, swap or would it have been yes. some exchange of money or tokens or no, something no no um it was mostly in lieu, right. so so he would be obviously taking a, a cargo of wool because uh-huh. that's mostly from East Anglia, for example, and then he would be bringing wine back to sell in the city. I, I haven't got the figures on me at the moment, but um, the wine import trade was incredible in the 17th century. Mm. It, people had discovered a liking for wine in Elizabethan times, and by the time that we got to the 1620s, the 17th century, then uh, we English had a very <laughs> good, uh, had really a good palate for it. Good taste for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. So, so he um, lived lived in Rotherhithe. We know he lived in the parish of Rotherhithe. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly where he lived. But three of his children were baptized in the church, and when he eventually died, he was buried in the churchyard. So we know he was a parishioner here. And this in is St. St. Mary's, Mary's church. And this around is the St. Corner. Mary's. Well, St. Mary's was the was the parish at the time there wasn't a it was the church mm-hmm. so but it's it was a fairly large parish it stretched quite a long way really to the next parish was st paul's in deptford so it stretched right across to deptford mm. so it's a, a large parish yes we assume we don't know that he would live somewhere near to the river to be easy access for his ship but we, we have no idea unfortunately in the parish records it just says when his children are baptized and when he's died it just says it doesn't give you an address like you'd have now with parish no. registers and so on there's no address which is which is rather unfortunate so that's the connection then between Rotherhithe and the Mayflower the fact that Jones was a resident here and that he was the, the man that was commissioned by the city to take the um, both two types of people pilgrims and merchant adventurers, people who were going to make themselves a better life yeah. in the new world. Well, I think it's in- interesting and important to make that distinction because I think a lot of people just think of the well, Pilgrim yes. Fathers yes. and the I mean, religious aspects yes. you, of it. You, you, see, you often see, you know, sort of uh, depictions of, of the Pilgrims all marching onto the Mayflower. But in fact, um, 
what was to happen was that they set sail from the Mayflower set sail from London, mostly with merchant venturers, people, as I said, who were going to um, wanted to better themselves, yeah. make a good life. Beaver trade was a big trade that was luring them because because beaver hats were very very expensive mm. and very well sought after, and they were to meet with the um, speed rail coming from Leiden in Holland, bringing the pilgrims. He'd previously from, moved over yes, there. Yes, yes, yes. They'd moved over from mostly from Nottinghamshire, South Yorkshire, etc., from that Scrooby Babworth area. And that was because they felt they were maybe not being persecuted, but not being able to live. Well, they there. weren't able to practice their religion in the way it. that they yes. wanted to. Uh -huh. So they, uh, Holland, had a reputation for being a, a fairly liberal country. So they all they. Gradually, they some of them had some quite dramatic escapes and so on, were imprisoned and went so forth. Started off in Amsterdam, then ended up in Leiden. Um, yes, the separatists, yes, some, some, yes, yeah, but not, I don't think they weren't the people, were they the people that went on the Mayflower as well? And the crew members, yes, yes, so obviously, so obviously, because he's he, um, Jones was living here, obviously, he would get a lot of his crew from the surrounding area. I mean, Rotherhithe was a big ship, a big maritime area, yeah. I mean, so that he would obviously, obviously people would sign up and so on. So was the Mayflower, because I understand there's not a great deal of records left of the Mayflower, if any, anymore, but was the Mayflower thought to have been constructed in Rotherhithe? No, or no was it, it, was, it was constructed in Harwich. In Harwich? It okay. was in Harwich, yes. yes and where was, it, where was it moored most of the time? And was it stationed? Oh, well, that's very contentious. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we love contentiousness. <laughs> well, according to the um, Mayflower pub, <laughs> it was moored just outside their window. <laughs> we'll go with that then, but, shall but, we? Uh, <laughs> but other people would dispute that and say that it was moored further down the river and so on. But okay. there's no actual concrete evidence for it it's it's theories mm. Mm. but it was mm. it was in Rotherhide I mean most well, he, most of the time well, that's well, where think, it sailed from I think from. we can say safely that Jones lived here yes. and was buried here his children were baptized here so that's our connect and that he worshipped in the church so yeah. that's our connection that's the mm. big connection yeah. that Rotherhide has with the Mayflower so just to recap he set sail Jones from here with his crew they were heading down towards... Yes, yes, adventurers. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes, people like um, William Mullins, for example, who was um, a shoemaker. And because when he died um, in the first winter, and in his will, his will listed all the shoes that he'd taken with him to set up his shoemaking business <laughs> and so on. So yeah. there were people like that, small tradespeople as well, who mm -hmm. wanted to start a... a a colony and and you know so there were people quite diverse people mm. but a lot of people wanted to um let's say they had their fortune set on beaver pelts that was uh, a big thing yes <laughs> and they were due to meet up with another ship weren't they yeah, the, the speedwell speed in southampton which they met in um august of 1620 and of course it is fortuitous and pauline actually is a southampton resident and feels ah. <laughs> slightly that Plymouth has taken a bit of the glory because <laughs> from Southampton because because they set sail from Southampton and that was that was their it should originally have been should, from Southampton yes, but then we had going. a leak yes. on one of the ships yeah but we? then the Speedwell um, was a very old ship and started to leak so he put back into Dartmouth 
and she was repaired, set off again, and had to come back and came back to Plymouth, and um, it was they couldn't repair it, so everybody got onto the one ship. Mm. Yes, yes. Well, when I say everybody, some people decided not to. I think by having set out and twice had to come back because the ship was leaking, I think some people might have <laughs> lost their resolve more than somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so some, not everybody got on because you couldn't actually. You squeezed more people on the one ship than should have been. So, but um, so that was that's why Plymouth. It's quite interesting that Plymouth then became the final so you feel hard done right? because a leaky ship has scuppered your, uh, your claim to fame <laughs> so they they set sail yeah. they have a fairly decent journey i think until towards they get there i no. thought i thought i thought they i thought it was when they got nearer they had some no, atlantic took, storms that hit them 66 days yeah. which is incredible really and of course they weren't heading for um cape cod they were actually heading they were going to join the virginia colony so they ended up much further north than they thought they would mm. in november um, which was the worst time of the year to yeah. end up in Cape Cod. Put their time frames yes, back a bit. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I thought I could be completely wrong. I thought the initial part of the journey was fair until they hit some storms no, in the latter part. No, it was the 60s. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there's a famous story of one somebody actually fell overboard, John Howland. He was a young man who fell overboard, but luckily he managed to grab a rope um, as he was falling and they all hauled him back on because apparently the seas were absolutely terrible yeah. and we know this because William Bradford kept a journal of the journey so we know that's that an amazing story John Howard yeah. yes it that's is I, I think it's a particularly good story yeah, yeah. No, it's a phenomenal <laughs> it's, story it's the boy who fell off the Mayflower yeah. yes <laughs> and what's that called the it's boy who fell overboard. Yeah, the Sounds boy who fell off the Mayflower. He was, he was, yes, he yeah. was just, he was a servant boy, but he was apparently, according to Bradford, he was a lusty young man, so he was able to withstand the vigours of falling overboard. <laughs> it must be a one in a million chance yes, of being able yes. to save the guy. Yeah, remarkable. And he was, but then, for sure, and when they got to, um, when they got to Cape Cod, because a lot of people died in that first winter, and there was a young girl who uh whose parents died and she was taken into the um guardianship of the person that uh John Howland was a servant to and then they all died so <laughs> he was left with this very nice young lady Elizabeth Tilly and they got married and i think of one of the most uh, prolific of the couples that got married with, as regards descendants mm. of So It's a wonderful story. It is a phenomenal story. <laughs> it really, really is. Yeah. Which is why I decided to do a little miniseries <laughs> on it. But it, it is so inspiring in many respects. Yes. And there's so many cultural yes. elements yes. to it. Yeah. And there's all the, the there's millions of descendants from it. And there's a relationship with the new world. It's, it's just phenomenal. So... We, we won't go on into the story in detail on what goes on in, in America, but the, he, he, he came back, didn't he, eventually, and resettled for a while back in Rotherhithe, although I don't think he lasted too much Well, long, no, longer. he um, they returned of, in um, 1621, and, of course, they were coming back with an empty ship, which was didn't go down too well when they arrived back in London, apparently, because, you know, people were expecting them to be coming back with lots of trading goods and sure. so on but of course not only were, were a lot of the settlers died a lot of jones lost a lot of his crew as mm. well so he he had a very a sort of a very small crew on the way back it obviously was a um, took a huge toll on his health so that he died the next year in 1622 
Um, he was only in his 50s. Mm. And buried in buried the in the churchyard. We don't know where, where exactly where he's buried because the church was rebuilt in the 18th century. Right. And of course, at that time, people didn't realize the significance of of, of the uh, of Jones. Mm. So that um, we don't know where he is buried, but we do know that according to the parish register, he was buried mm. in St. Mary's. So he died, and then the ship. Um, the ship, he, Jones actually was not only the master of the ship, he was also a part owner. And so there was, why we know what happened to the Mayflower was because there was a dis, uh, legal dispute as to whom the Mayflower belonged to. And in the end, it was just apparently left to rot on the foreshore in Rotherhithe. And um, there's some, um, in the sort of uh, maritime records, there's, uh, there's records of how much it was worth, which wasn't very man- right. much. Yeah. So when we went mudlarking the other week, you we could have, have might have. It. Yeah, well, there's the another spot. mudlark who mud who <laughs> there's particularly a few yes, yeah. who, but this one in particular, he likes to mudlark in Rotherhide called um, Alan Murphy. He he mudlarks as Rother's man, and his he would love to find a piece of wood that had. Mayflower yeah, who, on who it. Wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Can the chances of that? But of he keeps throwing up remarkable finds all the time. Well, then there's also a story that some of the timbers from the Mayflower were used to build a barn, which is located in Beaconsfield. Right. So you know, it's <laughs> yeah, the story. The story yes. continues. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but it is you know, because. I'm sure Jason told you the foreshore is being eroded more and yes. more. So it's quite possible that, you know, at some point... Who knows some, what who it's going will, to what will come up Because it is being eroded yeah. more and more. And, you know, I'm always amazed at the sort of thing that Alan finds. You'd think that they would have managed to find everything that was available. No. But with each tide... A bit more gets washed it's away. It's very, you know. very exciting. If you haven't done it, yeah. any of you, I thoroughly recommend you go and do it or go, go along. So that sort of brings us nearly full circle. I mean, he, as you say, we think he was buried in, in the parish church here. We, we know he was. We don't know exactly where. There's also a fairly recent statue, which is in the graveyard there as well. To that was 375, mm. the 19... um, sons and daughters. Yeah. 1995. Yeah, it's a it lovely statue. It was by yeah. the sons and daughters of yeah. the pilgrims. It's, it's beautiful. For the 375th yeah, anniversary. It's really lovely. Mm. So we have this wonderful story, mm. which goes back 400 years. You guys aren't 400 years old no, yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so why, why, what are you doing and what's your involvement well, with it? How, about four or five years ago, people locally and the council at that time began to realise that we needed to do some planning to commemorate this important anniversary. And we, all the Mayflower destinations across the country were running Illuminate projects around at Thanksgiving as milestones in the run-up to 2020. So the and other destinations actually began before Rotherhithe. So we organized the in 2016 the first Thanksgiving event at St. Mary's Church. And it was just one evening and we all got together beforehand when it got dark and we put lights in the trees. Pauline brought all the lights and it looked really fantastic. There was a fantastic concert with a kids' choir. They sang uh, spirituals under the Christopher Jones Memorial afterwards. There was mulled cider provided by the Brunel Museum and Lottie at the Brunel Museum afterwards. And it was a huge success. And there have been these 
Thanksgiving milestones every year since. But it was then that I got the idea that it would be fantastic to somehow commemorate, illuminate specific elements of Robber Hive, just to flag up for the future in, well, for the next 30 or 40 years, the significance of Robber Hive in this story, which so many people don't know. Mm. So it grew and grew. And I was I put in a bid to the council, which was rejected for a feasibility study. I got a huge amount of help from a lighting designer who was recommended to me by the council. Um, and that's where it began. And then last summer, um, Sheila, who used to be a member of the team, but um, she's had to pull out because she's just overwhelmed with other projects. Um, she and I went to a workshop at the City Hall to uh, see if it was worth crowdfunding for the cost of this feasibility study. We had no idea how expensive the feasibility was going to be. The guys in the Regen team at the City Hall were really excited about this project. They came to speak to us at this first workshop and we had to raise 31500 So Just to get past just the, feasibility for the feasibility phase. Yes. So we had all the costs. We got the conservation architect. We had the lighting designer. We had planning applications. And, and then obviously Space Hive, which was the platform that the GLA used, had a, had a, took a, a cut. And Sheila and I worked on the text for the Space Hive site. And That's the crowdfunding platform, yes, is it? Yeah. Which which is the what mayor, the mayor uses uh -huh. for his it's called Crowdfund London. Okay. It's an annual program. Right. And we were just completely overwhelmed with how it just seemed to touch a chord. And I was just sitting there at my desk. I couldn't believe that these pledges kept coming in. It was really it's very ex humbling, isn't extraordinary. It? Yeah. And it just seemed, you know, that it was the run up to Christmas, it's not a good time, blah, blah, blah. But it was just extraordinary. And we hit our target, the, both the local pubs, the ship where we're sitting now, and the Mayflower put in generously, the Illuminated River Found, um, Foundation with their partners, the Rothschild Foundation, were very generous. We'd done a walkabout with them. They are hugely supportive of what we're doing and continue to be and give us advice and um, refer, refer us to mm. other professional partners. So the uh, so then we had to commence this very complex feasibility with five different buildings, uh, which are all owned by different people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're well on the way now. The listed building consents have gone in to, to Southern Council. We didn't need full planning permission. As Do you want to just outline the, the nature of the lighting project you've got and the buildings that are yes. under consideration as well? Yeah, well, obviously, the main one is the church spire, right. which is a very special, it has a kind of a rotunda to it. Mm -hmm. And then the spire stretches up to the sky with a weather vane on top. And as part of the scheme, if we can, if, if we manage to pursue it, um, the interior of that rotunda would be illuminated. So the architectural features, which have never really been visible before, are visible from the ground. Mm -hmm. And then the light would, would uh, graze very softly up the spa and the clock, there are four, there's a clock on four sides of the tower and th that would be illuminated too. The um, memorial to Christopher Jones would be illuminated from, um, from the church. So there would be a light coming down 
onto this. We actually did that. We experimented with that in 2016 when we were when we had this event. I was mentioning this Thanksgiving event, and it looks really stunning mm. with this soft lighting from above. The other buildings are the chimney of the Thames Tunnel Mill, which yeah. is an old warehouse which appears on our logo there. Um, there are the two statues of the two little figures on the Free School, which is quite special with a plaque. And then there's the pub itself, which has a very the lovely pub. Mayflower pub, which has a lovely weather vane at the top of the ship, yes. which isn't really visible from the street side, but it is visible from the river. Um, and then there's the space, in, then there's the Brunel Museum chimney, and then there are the trees in the space opposite the Brunel Museum. So most of these elements are visible from the river. They are visible, I've checked, they're visible from London Bridge as well as from Tower Bridge. Maybe an up and down sort of walking and yes, taking river yes, cruises, checking right. all of the All the river cruises the we've got. We've had generous support from one of the, the tourist boat companies. So that's what we're aiming to achieve. The lights would not be on all night because it's a residential area. They would come on at dusk and they would then uh, be switched, they would be softened and they would be switched off at around 11 o'clock at night. Sounds lovely. I think it's quite important as well to reiterate that this isn't, we're not talking here about floodlighting. We're talking about enhancement. So subtly, subtly lighting them. Now, nowadays, with there's so many um, more products on the market mm. so that these LED lights, and it yeah. gives you a really soft, glow doesn't it i think sometimes when you say illuminate you know how churches used to be illuminated with these huge yes. floodlights it, so it's, it's very specific to elements yeah. of yes, the building yes or the characteristics yes. well, I, of the building i think when you look at the way st paul's and the tower of london those uh -huh. are the two i look at and i think and also st james's bermondsey which has just had their spot they've just had their lighting improved it's a soft and the way that our architect describes it it's see the building not the light yes. it's a soft Good illumination point. which just enhances the architecture mm -hmm. it's not a strong or an intense so what hours of darkness would uh, they be on from from dusk until probably 11 o'clock right. at night mm. okay and the man the american who's designed the lighting schemes for the the bridges um perceives himself as an artist as opposed to a lighting engineer and as Michelle said that the products now for lighting are quite different to what they were 10 years mm. ago. They're very, very subtle and the light can be toned down and blended into the surroundings. It's, it's not at all intrusive. It's very much enhancing mm. the architecture of the building. Mm. So we've learnt an awful lot, actually, with working mm. with the Illuminated Rivers team. Are these col coloured lights? Or, I mean, can you change the intensity or the brightness or the different colours? Um, um, for this project, we're keeping to one, one Just white, soft white, white. yeah. Okay. Mm. So, and, and depending on how much funding we raise, there, there is a feature that we may be able to do something special on Thanksgiving Day or July mm. the 4th or some particular days, you know, like you. But that's... Um, that's uh, so where are you with your fundraising... <laughs> where are you with the fundraising programme at the moment? Um... Fundraising is proving an interesting challenge because um, for the standard fund funding bids, what category does this fall into? It's certainly got a wow factor. It is very much into well-being. It makes the place safer. It enhances the architecture. But a lot of the regular funders have 
criteria that somehow or other this project really is doesn't quite fit into them all <laughs> you know do we you know they often want youth or old people or some Culture. tangible cultural benefit whereas this is quite difficult but surely this enhances cultural facilities that we've currently got to for the benefit of i don't know tourism and increased commerce yes but that all has to be quantified and qualified and so as i say funding has been an interesting challenge the people who've been very supportive for the pla um as well as illuminated rivers because this project actually enhances and addresses the thames vision and Mm what the PLA just to just to clarify that's the Port of London Authority London Authority because at the moment um, once you leave Tower Bridge it's rather high there's quite a black hole from the river till you Mm. get to Greenwich and Greenwich is not lit up all the time so um, they think that this what you can see from the river and what you can see from Wapping is Mm. really very very attractive Mm. the lighting trials that we had a public meeting about um at the end of October to demonstrate to the community and anyone else were really well received. People mm. were really thought it had a wow factor mm. to see, particularly the spire of the church, mm. which can be seen from miles away. I mean, we've been on a number of um, river trips connected with Illuminated River Project because they the first four bridges are now lit up. And it is quite remarkable how far away you from where you can see the spire of St Mary's. Mm. I mean, you can see it from Tower Bridge and, and London, London Bridges. Bridge. It's quite extraordinary. And and when you think of how much traffic there is on the river, the river cruises and things, they're very supportive as well. Mm. So we'll get there. So how much do you have to raise in total and where are well, you at presently? The church is our priority and we need and to the, raise... And the monument. The church and the Christopher Jones, are, they have a deadline. You know, we've got to do that for 2020 because that's when all the commemorations happen. And we need thirty, just over 30,000 for that. We're well over halfway for that. So we've got another few months. So and, and who's a typical a supporter? Are, are these local businesses? Are they private individuals who love the story? Um, a mixture. Is this something that the lot- lottery would be interested in? Again, we come back to the criteria, and um, it doesn't quite fit in with the criteria of the lottery. So that's um, that's it. Yeah, the Heritage Lottery Fund is mostly aimed at renovating heritage-type buildings, right. whereas we're not actually renovating anything. We're, we are enhancing it, but we're not renovating. Sure. So the Heritage Lottery Fund, and as Pauline says, that is often the case, the criteria with quite a lot of the funders, isn't it? It's for repair, restoration, etc. So what are the methods of fundraising? You're obviously making applications to various, I don't know, um, foundations perhaps, and various... <laughs> organizations networking networking has been our um success so far and say that's um that's the area i think we did a walk about with the 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 just to go back to the the port of london authority they have been working for the last two years on a on a vision a 20-year vision for the thames in terms of accessibility and cultural awareness and improving the riverside riparian riparian environment um and our project really fits with that vision so as pauline said they've been very generous we did a walkabout with them and they were they're they're quite excited we've 
had we've been to events that they run um i've also done a walkabout i got um i got a i was approached by the head of marketing by at the thames clippers yeah and i did a walkabout with her two weeks ago and she's gone away she says they really they really want to support us but i haven't heard back from them one way or the other we've got a a big transatlantic law firm who we're hoping to hear from who are very interested potentially it's a lot of work but um as pauline says we're we're really hoping mm. to get there oh thames water we've gone <laughs> we're, tr- we're trying probably not a good of- day today they're just no, 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 no. <laughs> so why is this important to you three ladies from a personal or historical legacy point of view well we think that it's going to create a permanent Mayflower legacy or everything else that's going on next year, as you say, 400 projects. Yeah, 400 separate events. This is the only one in London, as far as we're aware, which will still be there Mm. long after 2020. And it will, and and, um, as Pauline also mentioned, in terms of placemaking, there was a very interesting exhibition at the Welcome Collection a few months ago which explored the relationship and the effect that buildings have on human physical and mental health and we think that illuminate these are beautiful buildings Mm. that it'll make people proud uh, hopefully proud and feel positive and you know it's what, what used to be called civic pride about the area in which they live it will engage kids there's going to be an educational element built in it will engage kids in the history of their local area as well as adults who who don't a lot of local people don't know this story or the mm, background no. of it, which michelle's just described yeah. well, it's a fact. we're also um as you are probably aware there's a, a huge regeneration scheme um by british land mm. and canada water which is you know five minutes walk away and one of the marketing strategies that the ceo of that has um plugging is that this is the most romantic place in London. So we we are working He's on. Not. <laughs> is he really? <laughs> working on We're working on how we can. Do, well, if you can walk along the Seine, and the, mm. you know, this is the Thames mm. path. So and British Land have a river strategy. Yes. So, uh, you know, yeah. so we're we're mulling that over at the moment. He just made this big announcement. Well, I, 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 I have think, to say, as yes. someone who's not who hadn't <laughs> previously been to Rotherhithe. I can't remember for for many many years coming back here and doing these the various episodes and meeting everyone in the Rotherhithe area. It really is an eye opener. It is a beautiful area. It's got so much history. That's what I like you know, yeah, local well, history, history going back hundreds of years. So international history. It's and to create. I mean, this is what this podcast is all about: your London legacy. Yes. So it's personal legacies. It's you know bigger legacies on a national scale. It's fantastic. Yes, because although we we initially we sort of laughed when we heard about this and thought, but when you think about it. It would be a really nice stroll along the river with with everything softly lit and so on. I think it would look lovely. It would really, yeah, yeah. But I think it's also important because it is a legacy project. It's not just about Mayflower. It's about, as Michelle has um, referred to, it's about Rotherhithe's maritime history. Mm. So, I mean, obviously Brunel, the church wasn't there. None of this was here, was there in in 1620. But it's just about flagging up that that history and that for for future, for ourselves and for future generations. Yeah. And another 
Another thing that's happening in 2020 is that Turner's on the £20 note and the Temeraire has very close connections with Rotherhide as well and a maritime history. Mm. So, And also, every year we do um, open house um, the, when all the, in, the old buildings are open in across London. And there's a cluster of buildings, mainly these, and you would be amazed and hundreds and hundreds mm. of people who come and have no idea that this little oasis ha- is, mm. exists in London. That's mm. extraordinary. Well, it's just going to get squeezed out by all the national sort of, you know, Buckingham Palace and the the, 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 the wheel and all that sort of stuff. And oh, So you want to create and you want this to be on the map. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because as Pauline said, we do, we do open house. We base ourselves time and talents in the old mortuary but we always um, flag it as come to Rotherhithe for the day because there's the old mortuary there's Hans Films there's the church will be open Brunel Museum and um, people are just amazed people say oh I didn't you know it's London's secret village London's hidden village and people are really really thrilled and interested and the same thing is when we do the Scandinavian market in November um, I do an information stall there, and you'd be amazed at how many people come and say, gosh, this is such a fantastic area. I've got area. to ask, why a Scandinavian uh, market? Because, ah, <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> because <laughs> the maritime the maritime history, um, Surrey Commercial Docks was mostly concerned with the, with the timber trade, uh-huh. with the wood trade. And so, um, and obviously a lot of that came from Scandinavia. So in order, and in the 19th century, a lot of the ships coming, bringing wood in, obviously would be um, staffed by by Scandinavian sailors. And so they had these churches here, sort of missions really, to stop them. (laughs) (laughs) Missions to seamen to stop them sort of spending all their money, Uh you know, in the the many, many pubs in Rotherhithe. And so in Albion Street, which is just literally across the road there, there's um, a Finnish church, which was built in the 1950s, and a Norwegian church, which was built in the 1920s. Both totally different in style, but really, really both beautiful churches and both more than churches they're community centers and they're still going really really strong so um in november we hold a a a market between the two churches down the street and it's fantastic it's for three days i've learned oh well but as i say i do an information stall and people are really fascinated by the area absolutely fast but that is my most frequently asked question why Scandinavian market? <laughs> yeah, it feels a little bit odd, a bit random, but now we know. Yeah. Look at all the street names around here. You know, it was very much sub you know, the timber docks and mm. deal porters and timbers and the statues on Canada Water and all the street names are and the docks are But am I I think I'm right in saying there was grain, wasn't there? Because there's we have two granaries here, yeah. one of which is now residential, the other one is Sound Studios, and then there's this mill where the grain so I'm not sure where the grain came oh, from yeah well, well the Surrey the actual Surrey docks where the ships used to go into the Surrey docks that was mostly timber they had um, um, ponds timber ponds where they used to float the wood so the wood wouldn't dry out but also along the river here then they did have the ships would come up and more alongside these these granaries and and, and the wheat would be sucked up into and would that have been from Russia from no Canada Oh. Oh. But then you've got Russia dot woodland. Yes. 
that was Russia dog. That was that, oh, that was, was whaling and and timber as well. Obviously, the Baltic trade. It was the Baltic mm. trade. Yeah. I've got to ask: Are you a, a historian by profession or by just by natural inquisitive nature? <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> I did a history degree ah. at uh, college, and um, but I'm really interested in local history. I uh, I, I love local. So history. did you move to Rotherhithe because of the history, no, or did, no, was no. It, or, or no, we just no. lucky? <laughs> mm, yes, yes. A very, very good local history society yes. here that meets on the last Wednesday of every month in Time and Talents, and next year it's running a series of Mayflower lectures. So, but it's a very, very good history society. Mm. It has some very interesting speakers, and there's a lot of people, you know, very interested in the history of the area. So before we wrap up on this particular topic, is there anything else you would like to add or promote or would you just want to give how people can get in touch with you, how they can contribute if they wish to make a donation of any sort or just to find out some more information perhaps? Well, we've got, um, if, if they want to approach us by email, um, the email is se16.ri at gmail.com. The Twitter is um, at irotherhive. And um, the background, um, which has the context of and the and the, um, yeah, the the context, is on the Space Hive site, which we used for crowdfunding last year. But it's still there. It's my database. It's where I post updates um, to everybody out mm -hmm. there who backed the project. And that is uh, www.spacehive.com forward slash illuminate hyphen rotherhive. Okay. And then we have Just Giving, a live Just Giving site, um, which is justgiving.com slash crowdfunding dash Rotherhive Illuminated. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll post all these up on the website as well. So anything else? Any other websites, Twitter accounts? No, I mean, if people would like to follow me on iRotherhive, sure I would always to. be very grateful. <laughs> and so not only will they find out about this project, it's actually make, called uh, Rotherhive Mayflower Connections. So I will be posting lots of information about, as Pauline was saying, about the talks next year. And I also um, put up important dates, you know, historical dates on this day, etc. So you, you find out quite a lot about what's happening. Yeah, no, I do follow you and I know there's a lot of useful <laughs> Very interesting information which is put out. Well, it's a look. It's a fabulous project. I really, really hope. I'm sure you're going to reach the uh, the target that you want. You know, for the first phase of it, if nothing else, and then you take it from there. But I, it, it's wonderful, and I can't recommend to people enough to come down to the area to have a look. Maybe meet up with you guys. They can get in touch. They can meet up with you. Absolutely. I'm sure you'd be delighted to give them a little guided tour of the Absolutely. area. Absolutely. We do it all the time. You do. <laughs> take them for a drink or a cup of tea or something. That's right. We in do one of the lovely the pubs around here. <laughs> And um, just generate some interest because if, even if they don't contribute, it's just a wonderful place to come to and enjoy in London. So thank, thank you all you. very, very much indeed. Thank it's you. been a pleasure having you. Thank and you uh, good luck to you all. Thank you so much. So we're now at the point of the interview or the conversation rather. It's not an interview. When I ask my guests, as I do on the end of every conversation, a place or two that is particularly personal to them that they love in London, they would recommend uh, for people to go and see. You know, it could be a walk, a museum, a restaurant, a pub, anything, a, a private space. So I think we've got one um, over here from Pauline. What are you going to recommend to us today, Pauline? I'm very fond of the Japanese garden in Holland Park. I think it's very peaceful and I like the water features. Okay, that's lovely. Anyone else got a suggestion? I think Southwark Cathedral, it's, uh, it's a wonderful space to just go and sit and be quiet 
and be surrounded by beauty when there's such a lot of chaos going on outside. And the other one is the Museum of London Docklands at Canary Wharf, which is really worth a visit and very, very special in terms of London and the, and the history of, of this part of London. It's lovely. Well, this might sound sort of hackneyed, but I do um, actually, I love Greenwich. I think Greenwich is beautiful. There's so much to see there and it's so lovely. And if I was to pick out one particular part of Greenwich, it would be the Queen's House, which is absolutely superb, a fantastic building, beautiful proportions are absolutely perfect and I yeah and I remember um, it was closed for a long time in the 1990s and then it reopened and um, I came with a school group I brought a school group down to look at it and it was just such a fantastic place and I've always loved it that's really good but Greenwich itself is, mm. is an interesting has lots of things to do for the whole family yeah. well we've got three wonderful ideas there and it just shows you the diversity of in London because this is about the 75th I don't know episode and there's three ideas which we've not had on the show before so we'll you haven't had on we haven't had any of those three oh, I believe okay. on okay. the uh, podcast before okay. so it just goes to show so once again ladies thank you ever so much and all the very best of luck to you and your project going forward every week here at your london legacy we bring straight to your device a new and fascinating guest with a wonderful london-based story we hope you enjoy listening to their timeless stories as much as we enjoy creating them for you if so the best way to show your appreciation is to subscribe to the show simply go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com and pop your name and email in the box where shown That way, you'll never miss another episode. Thank you for your support.